A quick warning before we start this episode, we do touch on suicide, so please listen with care. This month, I watched Dan Levy's Netflix film, Good Grief, and the one thing that really shone through was just how painful and messy and just out of control grief can really be. And it's something that personally fascinates and terrifies me at the same time. So wouldn't it be lovely if we could just do grief, make it a kind of rite of passage, a happy thing, tick it off and get on with living life? Well, if only it were that simple. Today, I'm joined by presenter and fellow podcaster Vogue Williams, who has very raw experience of how we, in life, face death and all the complexities that go with mourning somebody. Hi, Anna. Hey, Anna. Hey, Anna. Hi, Anna. Hey, Anna. Hi, Anna. Hi, Anna. Hi, Anna. It can't just be me who's really struggling with staying faithful. Definitely got menopause brain. I really want children, and he doesn't. I have feelings of jealousy. It's just all around the middle, I feel like a Teletubby. And then I hated myself for feeling that way. If you've got any advice. I would really appreciate any advice. It can't just be me. It can't just be me, right? Vogue Williams. Welcome. Hello, Anna. Thank you for having Hello. me. Welcome Your voice is so be... nice. Will you do one of those stories on calm so I can listen to you when I go to bed? I, I feel like I should. I, oh, I, I so bore nice. myself when I talk. No, it's Never so mind. nice and soothing. That's what, that's, I, I you're aim. tricking me into something here. I am. <laughs> it's all just totally lulling you into a false sense of security. Well, fortunately, uh, we do have a trusted psychotherapist along with us in the studio today. So we are going to be mining your soul today. Oh, thank you. How are you feeling? I'm really excited for that. I hope. I hope it's deeper than I think it is. It will be, it will be. Now, regular listeners will know that I start each episode by asking my guests to share their very own It Can't Just Be Me dilemma. And as a woman who's presented the Taboo Talks podcast, I'm kind of nervous about what yours is going to be. What have you got? It's so pathetic. Go on. I'm sorry, it can't just be me. That brings tea bags away with her. What tea bags are we talking about? Barry's tea. Oh, so it's, it's a specific tea. It's a specific tea, but I like to have my berries decaf at night and I have my normal berries during the day. And maybe it's an Irish thing. We are obsessed with tea. Are even, you? Though, even though you call it English breakfast tea, it's it's Irish breakfast tea. Okay? So are, are you guys <laughs> obsessed with tea? We love tea in Ireland. Tea, tea, tea. I thought you just loved alcohol. We we love that too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, we love tea. Like my auntie was telling me, she's like, I must have 12, 13 cups of tea a day. And no. I was like... Gina, I don't think that's healthy, but I'd have a lot of tea a day. I could sit there and drink it like water. I just, I love it. I used to make three cups of tea in a row and I'd have three cups of tea in front of me because when I got one of the really large mugs, like a huge pint yeah. mug, it got cold too quickly. Why don't you just have like a thermos of tea? This is the thing. It depends on the tea bag. It depends on how the tea is made and it depends on the cup. So I do, I, I haven't brought a mug away with me only because my husband will slag me about it, but I would like to bring one of my mugs with me. Mm. God, does this sound so dull that I'm talking well, about? Well, no, I mean, it, it, this, is, this is an interesting thing. So <laughs> thankfully, thankfully, for, for both our sakes, we have Fiona Cow, our psychotherapist on hand. Fiona, are you already making notes about the pair of us? Oh, yeah, of course. I've been <laughs> analysing since I walked into this door. And uh, I have to say, she has been staring at you there, Vogue, clearly making notes about the whole, the whole madness I'd of Barry's I'd hate to what you, like, to know what you think about me. <laughs> Let's we'll, do Anna. We'll find out <laughs> after the show. 
Now, look, today we are delving into the darker and the sadder, harder side of life because we're going to be talking about death, which is still such a taboo topic. Yeah. But actually, Vogue, you know, we were chatting beforehand. You and I have, have a slight fascination about this. And it's something that's been playing on your mind recently. Yeah. So what's going on? I don't, do you know what? I can't understand how people don't have a fascination about it. My husband Spencer is just like, he is so carefree about death. He's like, oh well, just get on. I'm like, what do you mean? Oh well. How can you be oh well about it? I'm so, I went through a phase and I actually had to go and speak to a therapist about it because it got so intense. Really? But I couldn't stop thinking about death to the point where like I was having sleepless nights. I was trying to like think of something else before I was going to bed. And like I'd walk by older people in the street and I'd be like, oh God, they must be terrified. Yeah. And Spenny was like, they're not. Like, they're not talking <laughs> and thinking about it. And I was like, how could they not be? He's at least 80. He's on the way out. Like, but I think they, they, they must. I mean, I'm already terrified about the whole thing. I'm only 53 and I'm, I'm doing we've the whole counted, death maths you've 40, thing. 40 years left, we've counted. Yeah, we did, didn't we, I earlier 50, on? so I'm sorry about that, but you've only got 40. God, we need 40 more healthy years. But I, I don't understand how people don't worry about death. So, yeah. Fiona, why are we so uneasy when it comes to talking about death and grief? I think it's cultural. I think that yeah. we've kind of created, you know, this taboo topic around death. And I was actually thinking about this, you know, how in the English language, there's a lot of euphemisms around mm. someone has passed. Yeah. And I thought... In German, we don't have it that much. So that really showed me kind of the cultural impact. That kind of makes sense, though, because the Nepalese people have a really nice way of thinking about death. Like, they genuinely believe that you're just passing on to the next life. In Ireland, like, if you're invited to a funeral, I am telling you, snap that invite up. You are going to have the best time of your life. Oh, really? Yeah, in Ireland, we have the best funerals. <laughs> Because you have the whole wake, don't you? Isn't, isn't, yeah. the, isn't the coffin open? Uh, you're, oh, sometimes I hate that. Or when someone's like, would you like to come and see them? It's like, I really don't. And you can't say no because it's kind of rude. So you might have to go in. My sister actually went. <laughs> she went to this guy in our area died and she went to his wake. And she went in and like, she's queuing up to like pay her respects to the body. And she got up there and she was like, he looks desperate he looks nothing like himself <laughs> it turned out she'd gone into the wrong room the funeral. <laughs> it wasn't who she thought it was so actually <laughs> I was like oh my god Amber don't tell them that but uh but we're kind of in Ireland you're dead and buried and like like my dad died on a Friday morning at like six in the morning or something and he was buried on Sunday you're quick in and out like you guys like to Hang around. We, we I don't know what it. you do in Germany. You guys really drag it out. Actually, that's the point, because you were saying earlier on, Fiona, that we don't have the euphemisms for dying in, in German. Is it just that they're dead? I mean, we don't have that many. I think like in English, oh, we really like, have a lot. And I, I was thinking, like, how would I actually talk about someone dying? And I would just say, oh, my friend's father has died. Whereas yeah. in English, that's, that's quite crude, right? You wouldn't... Well, it feels quite sort of blunt and on yeah. the nose it's very it's factually yeah. correct yeah. <laughs> exactly so, so that's very German right yeah, yeah it's very very German but I mean I share a fascination with you about death my dad's a priest so we were brought up 
in the vicarage right next to the church. So part of our garden was on the old graveyard. So me and my brothers used to, when we were like playing in the garden and sort of like digging (laughs) things up, we'd dig up human bodies from like the medieval times, obviously, not like fresh bodies. But like, we'd be like, Dad, we've got another skull. And my my dad had a whole bag of like bones in the garage that he then had to at night go and kind of like rebury and reconsecrate. Oh, God. So I think that I've always been kind of like around it and quite interested in terms of well, where do people go? That actually reminds me of when I was younger. I remember our next door neighbour's granddad died and myself and my my other neighbour, he was my friend. We, were, I'd, we must have been like six or something at the time. I remember calling to the house and being like, can we see the body? Like, when you're six? Yeah, And did I you remember. see the body? No, of course they wouldn't let us go in and see the body. <laughs> Just, hello. You never, I mean, you Irish, you never know. But no, you wanted but like, to see the body. Oh, yeah, we wanted to see the body. So how many dead bodies have you seen? Oh, God, how many would I... I like, it would, I'd say it'd be under 10. I avoid it if I can. Yeah. I don't think it's great to be... Because no one ever looks like themselves. Some people might, but I don't think they look like they're asleep. They're not, no. They don't no, no, they definitely look dead. Yeah, they really look dead. I remember my dad died. We, um... <laughs> My sister and I had a good few drinks and we were like, we can't leave him on his own. We'll stay in here. Aww. We'll stay in here. And then at about three in the morning, we woke up and we were like, oh my God, get out of here. <laughs> There's a body in here. <laughs> so, so tell us more about Freddie, because I think sometimes that when we talk about grief, we get so lost in the raw emotion of it that we forget to celebrate the person that was with us. So tell us about your dad, Freddie, because he passed in 2010. Is that right? Yes, he did. He was 68. Now he was... He was young. Yeah, he was young. But like he was always unwell because he smoked a lot. Smoked, drank. I remember he was in hospital for... He'd had two heart attacks in two days and he was hanging out the window smoking. He just... And it was like, he's never going to stop smoking. In his life, he had triple bypass. He had two heart attacks in two days. He had a stroke. Um, He was always getting stents put in because he was a heavy smoker. He likes to put butter on his chips. And that's just, he lived really fast, but he loved life. He would have loved like meeting my kids and he would have been over. He probably would have moved to London with me. Like we were really, really good friends. But he died, yeah, when he was 68. What, What actually happened to him? Towards the end, what happened was he, he basically had an aneurysm in his stomach and he was told about the aneurysm and there was a high chance that it would just burst on its own and then he would die. What I was told is he would die a terrible death and it would be very painful and he'd probably be on his own because he lived on his own or they could try and do an operation. So I think he was very worried about it. So I think he probably would have rather weighed it out. But we were just like, listen, there's a chance here you're going to be totally fine and you won't have to worry. It'll be gone. You'll have loads more time and so he went and had the operation he woke up from the operation but when he came to and I was talking to him I was like he's saying weird stuff to me like he wouldn't ever say to me and I kept saying it to the nurses and they're like no 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 he's fine and then it turned out he'd had a stroke on his brain and then they they put him into an induced coma and then he never came out of it oh god Vogue I mean that is how old were you Probably 24 at the time, I think. That's really traumatic. Do you know what? It was traumatic, but at the same time, because he had been sick my whole life, Mm. like I had been going in and out of hospital to him all the time, it was expected in a way. Mm. But it was traumatic when you're that young and you're Mm. kind of going through it. But like I had my sister at the time and we like we're we're very close. And then my auntie who looked after the whole thing, she organised this amazing 
funeral and like we didn't have to look after anything yeah. we were just kind of there yeah getting yeah. pissed and getting pissed and just trying to process what's <laughs> yeah. what's gone on but as I understand it you felt a lot of guilt afterwards yeah. is that right I felt guilt for like for a good few years after it because Did you well because I actually didn't know that my auntie was trying to convince him to do it as well so I thought I was convincing him to, to, to do go the for the operation when then I was like god he could have had the summer and he loved the summer and I kind of felt like I had pushed him into it so if I hadn't then he mightn't have died and now that like I reflect on it and it's been how long it's been it's um I have to count it it's a 14 years god that's a long time yeah it's funny though you remember them like they're they're like I can I can hear his voice it's weird can you? yeah but um you reflect on it and then you're like listen I f- I kind of feel like it's it's written down for everyone when you're gonna go mm. I'm gonna go and I'm 350 <laughs> <laughs> it's still looking fabulous darling if the face falls I'd rather go <laughs> exactly so tell me about those early stages of grief and particularly with somebody so close to you. What was it like? I think with somebody that close to you, you're kind of engulfed in like sadness from from everywhere and you just feel like this is just the pits. It's the worst. And when that had happened, I my whole life just flipped because I was like, right, I want to get out of here. I don't want to be around this. I broke up with my boyfriend of like six years, six and a half years. And I met somebody else quite quickly and I moved out of the country, which I don't think I would ever have done had that whole turmoil not oh happened God. in my life. I would never have left the country because of my dad. So I was I was kind of stationed there because my dad was always kind of, like he wasn't sick, sick all the time, but there was always a chance that he was going to get sick. So I kind of stationed myself at home and then he died and I was like, see you later, losers. I'm not sticking around for this because I just didn't like, too much was reminding me of him and I just wanted to take myself away. But not even knowingly. It's only now when I look back, I'm like, God, I actually just wanted to remove myself from just the whole situation. Away. Yeah. It's is that very common, Fiona, for people when they're grieving, that they just blow their lives up and just, you know, make some radical change? I think what's always really important with grief is that it's so individual. You can't, mm. it's really difficult to generalise. Mm. You can't really say this is what all people do. Mm. However, there can be some tendency kind of like to either taking the grief head on or trying to to remove yourself or needing a change of scenery. And I think it's expect the unexpected with Mm. someone who's grieving. You just don't know Mm. how you're going to feel. Yeah. Does our age and the manner in which somebody has died affect our experience of grief? Yes, it does. Oh, it does? Yes. I think if it's a sudden and unexpected death, that often makes the grieving process really difficult. If it is a suicide, that's, Mm. again, Mm. very, very difficult. And I think, you know, if, if a person is kind of ill and it takes time and then the family can prepare and you can actually speak about death and you can say your goodbyes, then very often that can help in the grieving process. Yeah. That's interesting, actually, isn't it? You're right about the the process and the process of saying I love you to somebody and I'm grateful that you're in my... And, and having your goodbye makes it easier. Yeah. And I guess how often do we get to do that, in a way? It's not It's not often, but when you do... I've read books where people are, like, they're, they're diagnosed with terminal illness, illnesses and the way that they... Like, I think of somebody having to come to terms with their own death. Yeah. Be just like horrific. Yeah, that's. I mean, how would you do it? We can't conceive of it, can we? And no, I mean, from a brain point of view, Fiona, is is that a human thing that our brains just can't really conceive of our own demise? Is it a survival thing? 
I don't think it's a survivor thing. So in existential therapy or existential philosophy, we actually say that death is what gives meaning to our lives. Because otherwise, if we wouldn't die, we would live endlessly, right? And this would give our lives a whole different meaning. And I think, Mm. for example, Vogue, your interest in death as well, it's kind of this one uncertainty that we all know will happen. So that's the certainty, but we don't know when and we don't know how. Mm. And that's extremely scary. And Mm. I think this is why so many people block it entirely out because they can't deal with the anxiety, with the death anxiety. I I feel incredibly anxious about it. I I really, really worry about it. Do you want to know what existential therapy says about this? Yes. So it's all about kind of accepting that this will happen and then you live much better with it. Yes, yeah. but I still want to know that I'm going to die a really nice death and when I'm really old with loads of love and no pain. You can do it with AI. I did it there the other day. You yeah. can do it with AI? Supposedly, yeah. What, you, you can get... I'm going to be 102. Don't be jealous. Oh, well, Jell. <laughs> but of course, there's, there's the whole existential thing of what happens beyond. Do you believe there's a beyond or do you not believe that, Fiona? No, I don't believe there's a beyond. Well, you can't because you've got a scientific mind. I kind of believe that we exist on in a different form. And I think we kind of keep existing in the memory of people. I definitely think that we live on. I think that spirits reconnect. I don't think it's nice to think of anything other than that. And I just think that you're, everyone is so different. Everyone has their own mind. Everyone is just their own being that I, it feels like there is a soul within you and that you you will go somewhere else. And I just think it's too depressing to think otherwise. Well, this I mean, you're quite right to say that we've all seen a dead body yeah. and we can't really associate that body with that person because the soul's gone, the mm. energy's gone. I watched so I watched my dad die and I'm telling you the difference like as soon it's it's like it's and obviously it's because like all your muscles and everything will go will go limp and stuff like that as soon as you die. But like I felt like you could almost see like the change straight away like a seconds. You can see the spirit leave. Yeah, you can't like you're not going to see it. Like I didn't see my dad like floating above me saying goodbye. <laughs> But you can kind of, like, the the difference in the body at the time of death is like, it's so... That energy's gone. Yeah, you can feel the energy is gone. Do you ever feel your dad around you? I don't. You don't? No. Yeah. It's not that I don't feel him around me, but I think that, like, when you think of them, he might just pop into my head for no reason. But, like, it's, it's amazing that when you go through grief at the start, you're just, like, you're so upset. And, like, you're just, everything that you think about them is just makes you feel sad. And, like, I still do get sad where, like, I could be doing something and I'd be like, oh, God, he would have loved to have been doing this. Mm-hmm. But, like, most of the time, something pops into your head and you're like, Ah, uh, wasn't that nice that we that we all did that together? Like, or funny stories that I think about them. Um, so you do have that as time goes on. Unfortunately, well, like, time is what helps. With, and with I everything. guess, I guess, as you said, Fiona, that actually people live on in the memory. Yeah. Okay, so we are going to take a quick break, but we'll be back straight afterwards to share a couple of listener dilemmas. See you in a minute. This episode of It Can't Just Be Me is supported in part by the Better Menopause. Now, you know we've talked about the menopause before on this show and we've got more episodes coming up. It's a topic that I'm fascinated by simply because I'm going through it. So I'm interested in the better menopause and the work they're doing around nutrition and gut health. Their first product is the Better Gut and it's a probiotic designed specifically for women in midlife struggling with common symptoms of the menopause. We're talking IBS, bloating, anxiety, brain fog, low energy, 
you name it, all of those things that you tell me about when you get in touch with me on the show and actually a lot of the things that I'm going through as well. There's more information available on their website, but to put it simply, transform your gut, transform your menopause. Try the Better Gut today to support you through a better menopause. Visit www.thebettermenopause.com to find out more about the science and order your supplements today. They deliver straight to your door and the supplements come in portable packaging to help fit into any busy lifestyle. You can also sign up to their newsletter and join their thriving community. Right now, you can receive 15% off your first order with the special code ANNA all one word. That's www.thebettermenopause.com and code Anna. Welcome back to It Can't Just Be Me. I'm here with Vogue Williams and psychotherapist Fiona Cow, and it's time for your dilemmas. Our first one is from somebody currently supporting their partner through the loss of their parent. This person has asked to remain anonymous, but this is her voice. Hi, Anna. I wanted to talk about my partner's mum, who sadly has recently died. He's um, struggling with a lot of guilt about her passing, which sadly wasn't very dignified and was very painful. And he's constantly wondering if there was more that he could have done for her in her last few days. I have the power of perspective and know that he actually did so much for her and she definitely knew that she was loved. But he seems to be in this loop of guilt. He shuts down when I try to talk to him about it, which makes things very difficult and he becomes very distant. And it is affecting our relationship. So I just wondered if you had any advice as to how I can help him um, move through the grief. I mean, that is, it's just so sad, isn't it? Mm. It's just so awful to hear that. And I mean, there's two things going on here. The idea of having to witness somebody's demise when it's been painful and undignified awful. is awful. Yeah. So that is, that is horrific to hear. And I guess then the other aspect of this is, is how do you help someone move through the stages of their, of their grief? So Fiona, are there different stages to grief? And is guilt very much a part of that? So you've probably heard of the five stages of grief. There's kind of this common concept that mm. a lot of people use. And the five stages are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. I actually don't find it that helpful because, as I said before, grieving is such an individual process. And it really depends on how did the person die? Who died? What was their relationship? And where is the person who is experiencing the grief in their, in their lives? So I don't think you can generalize at all. Guilt's not in there then. Yeah, that's but, interesting. Yeah, but a lot of people feel it. So why? I, I mean, again, I think it's a very individual. But I, what I kind of wonder for this listener is that because death is so uncontrollable and actually seeing someone being ill and you feel so helpless and so out of control. So I wonder whether for this listener's husband, actually kind of going back to what could I have done differently? What could I have done here? Is giving him a sense of control? What mm. could I have controlled? And this is actually really un unhelpful, I think, in the process. But it can also be a way of distracting himself from accepting the death and distracting himself from having to grieve. And also mm. there's, and you'll know this, Vogue, as well, that existential thing of, a parent dying. Yeah. This is his mother. 
I think with that, though, when a parent dies, and I say it because my auntie said it to me recently, she's like, well, I'm next on the chopping block. My parents are gone. I'm ne- I'm next in line. And you kind of think of your own demise, I suppose. You do start thinking about yeah. that. I think the older you get, and as you say, when you start to lose your parents, you realise that, yeah, I'm next there's on the no production one, line. Yeah, there's no one above me. So, Vogue, when it comes to helping a loved one through their grief... Can you relate to this at all? I feel like when I heard that dilemma, like it reminded me a little bit of of how I felt. And to be honest with you, no matter what anyone would have said to me, I wouldn't have really taken it on board. It wouldn't have changed my mind about the way that I feel. So as as annoying as it is, it's just that's a process he's going to have to go through. And he's going to, it's going to take time before his mind will be able to settle from from feeling so guilty about it to, to actually start rationally thinking about it because he's probably not thinking rationally at the moment because no. he's too upset. Well, I was just going to say to you, actually, what did you find helpful and what did you find unhelpful when you were grieving? I, maybe it's because I was younger, but I kind of just ran from it for a long time. And it was only after about, I'd say about a year, that then I'd start talking about it when I had a couple of drinks, but I wouldn't talk about it besides that. I kind of wanted to, to just lock it away and, and not have to talk about it with people. But I think back then that's how, how I kind of dealt with it. Mm, so mm. I did, and I, I feel like I did talk about it a lot and my friends would listen to it, but I, I mostly just wanted to not think about it. Have you had to support Spencer as well with, with the loss of, of his brother or with, with grief in his life? I think with Spencer and his brother, his grieving was so different because he was so young. When that happened to his brother, Michael, um, he summered at Everest and then was lost on the way back to he was nine or ten at the time so he just like his parents told him and he was like okay cool when's Mike coming back it was just kind of like when's he going to be home so he just assumed that he was going to be home and I think even his grieving process probably only really happened when he did the documentary that he did about his brother and it was only when he did that and kind of retraced the steps that he kind of like went through all that as an adult. I think for him, it wasn't even about being upset. It was just kind of like a realisation to him. And he was like, God, that was like, this is what he did. And this, and it was, it was nice for him to go and do that and feel connected to his brother because he hadn't seen his brother since he was, he was 10. I just felt really happy that he was kind of going through it because I think it is an important thing to to, to actually go through. You need to, you can't ignore it forever because mm. it's always going to creep back up. Mm. Mm. So going back to the listener then and this loop of grief that yeah. this listener's partner is feeling, Fiona, is there any way to help somebody out of that cycle when they're in it? Or is it just that you've just got to let them go through the process? Yeah, I think it's the letter. Really? It's kind of getting that acceptance as well of he's going to do it at his own pace. He's going to need to do what he needs to do. And this can be really difficult in a relationship when you think, I know all the things that you need to do. Now, I know what you need. And then yeah. holding back because, as you said, Vogue, you, you can't hear it really, as the person going through this process, no. you don't want the solutions. You want someone to be there with you. But then it can affect relationships, though, can't it? It really can. Yeah. So what do you say to that person that's trying to support? And actually, it's just... I know. It's affecting the relationship. I kind of think it... Like, I don't want this to sound mean in any kind of way, but, like, I've had, like, a friend who went through a breakup, which is obviously very different to somebody dying. But like after four months being on the phone nonstop and this turning into a conversation about that the whole time and and like everything being about that, I was like, I can't, I can't, I can't actually, I've gotten to the point now where I can't listen anymore. And I can't help you. I can't help you. You have to like push yourself through it. I think it's kind of the same with grief. 
it will get to a point where you just have to have to say, listen, we need to figure out a way to move through this because actually it's really affecting me now, not just you. This is now affecting, it's affecting me, it's affecting you and it's affecting our relationship. And unless we move through it, like this is going to be a big problem. So, so in this situation, Fiona, what would you be saying to this couple? Because what we're hearing here is a man who's grieving and he has shut down and he mm. will not talk to his partner about it. Mm. What would you say to them if they were in your in your therapy room? Well, I think, you know, everyone is entitled to their own emotions and their own experiences and everyone in this relationship is entitled to have their space. So I think it's important, you know, when your partner is grieving, to give them time and to give them space to what what is okay for you, what is acceptable for you. But if it starts impacting the relationship too much or it goes on for too long, then I think as the other person, you are entitled to say, this is now affecting me or I'm finding it really difficult that you are suffering so much. And can we talk about what you can do? And I think, for example, for for the husband of this listener, maybe he needs to think about support that he can get. And maybe it's not within the relationship, but it could be a grief group, could be journaling, it could be therapy. Okay. Finally, then, what one piece of advice would you give to our listener in terms of supporting her partner, Vogue? I would say I'd sit down and have a really open, honest chat. It's not what you're going to want to do because it's a very difficult thing to do because obviously they're grieving and you and you don't want to feel like you're being unempathetic or nasty. But at the end of the day, they will appreciate it and just be like, right, let's sit down. How can we figure this out? Because actually this is now affecting us. It's affecting me. And we need to figure out a way through this. Like, I don't want you to feel like this anymore. And I don't want it to affect us either. So let's figure this out together. And we're a couple, we're a team. Yeah. Let's do it as a team, yeah. in a sense. Yeah, I think so. What would you say, Fiona, as a therapist? I think that's a really good approach. I think there's a little bit of a danger maybe of the partner shutting down. So I think it could be always a good perspective to talk about her experience. Say, I am feeling really hopeless or helpless or I this is affecting me in this and this way. What can both of us do mm. to work through this and to address this? Okay. We have also had another dilemma that's come in that focuses on how grief can impact intimacy. So this person has voiced their dilemma, but has also asked to remain anonymous. Hey Anna, I wonder if you could help me and it's a bit of a sensitive one. Ever since I lost a family member unexpectedly last year, I haven't felt like sex and the thought of it makes me cringe. It's like that part of me is shut down. My wife has been patient with me, but passion used to be a big part of our relationship and a way that we really connected. And I think she started to get frustrated. We were thinking about trying for another baby and that is now on hold because I'm so closed off. I seem to be okay in other areas of my life. Will I ever get back to how I used to be? This is a really interesting one. So we know that obviously the mind and the body are just intrinsically linked. What do you think is going on here, Fiona? So I think because libido is something that we can't really control, right? We can't switch it on and off like we want. And the, this listener is reporting that everything else is going well. Mm. So I wonder whether in every other part of his life, he kind of has control. He can kind of pull himself together. But then when it comes to some something like our sexuality, that we can't switch on and switch off. This is actually where we're getting a sign of not everything is all right. I see. So he's he's managing in every other area. But the one area that is, in inverted commas, failing him because he can't control it is libido. Yeah. So you're saying that's a signal 
to him that not everything is okay here. You're you're grieving and this is how it's coming out. Yeah, I think for most people, unless you're asexual, of course, a healthy mind is that you have a healthy libido. People have passion, people have sexual desires. So if your libido is off, it is a sign that something is off. I kind of have two like feelings on that. First of all, because he was saying that he lost someone last year. I'm not saying that there's a time limit on grief, but I feel like people who are going through bouts of depression, sometimes like I went out with a guy and he was going through a really bad bout of depression, did not want to have sex. And I think that that can really affect your libido. So maybe it's like he doesn't even realize that like actually the grief has made him feel depressed. depressed. And, And maybe that's why his libido... Isn't isn't what it used to be, but also doesn't it change all the time? Like you yeah, just, it, I mean, it does change all the time, but it feels as though these two are linked, doesn't it? The grief and the lack of wanting to have mm. sex. Fiona. Maybe you just don't want that intimacy of somebody touching you and having to. I don't know. What That's do you a think? tough one. Yeah, I think the way that he's describing it, and he's saying that it, he's noticed this since the person dying, right? So it definitely sounds interlinked. I think we always need to consider other things as well. I mean, they're trying for a baby. Losing someone confronts you with your mortality. And I also think, you know, so dying is an existential experience, but having a child, giving birth to a child is also a very existential experience, which also confronts us kind of with life and death. And maybe when as a parent, when you start thinking about your own mortality, it's like, do I want to put a child through that? This oh, now, now we're going very far into hypotheses, of course. I don't want to put anything into this listener's mouth. But I think what we are hearing here is that, as I said, if you don't have a libido, you need to go and explore what this is about. Yeah. I, I like that hypothesis, though, that maybe there is that anxiety of, I've just lost somebody that I dearly, dearly love. Yeah. And now I'm about to create life, new life. And actually, do I want to do that? Because then ultimately that child is going to experience the same mm. awful grief that, that I am, I think is interesting. But there's also the stress and pressure when you're like trying for a baby. It's yeah, but it's, you know, not, it's not exactly sexy times. <laughs> but I thought about this. And so when usually when men experience that pressure, it will be more about performing and not about limit. Uh-huh. Okay, so he doesn't even want it. So what can he do then? I think they need to talk. He and his partner need to talk. Before it gets too late, because it does get to a point where it's like, oh God, it's too embarrassing now. What do you mean? I feel like if you leave it too long, if a situation like that is going on. Yeah, if you don't have sex or you don't talk about it being a problem for too long, it gets to a point where you're just like, God, this has Mm. just gotten really awkward now. Yeah, we can't do it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So I think maybe this listener needs to also explore his own libido with himself. First, maybe that can be a bit easier. Oh, masturbation, yeah. just to see whether he feels like yeah. that, like, like I've still got the desire. But Look I just, at, yeah, that is interesting because that's for our listener. We don't know that, do we? We don't know whether he is still masturbating, he's still got the desire, or whether it's just that he doesn't want to have sex with with his partner. Yes. Yeah. So you know what is going on with the libido here? That's a very very good point. And then as a couple, I would think about okay, what can we actually do? What what did we used to enjoy? I think they should kind of also work on their intimacy. Very often, you know, not not being intimate sexually together also has signs about something in the relationship. Maybe they need to go on dates. Maybe they need to yeah. uh, reignite a bit their passion. Maybe they need to do some fun things yeah. in the bedroom as well that they enjoy. Away and- from your other child. Maybe you're spending too much time with the child. Could be that. And, and Vogue, you became a parent after losing 
your parent. How did that impact your experience of becoming a mother? Did you have that sort of thing of, oh my God, I'm a mother now, a parent now? That's when I would feel sorry for my dad, when I would think, God, he would have loved Theodore, he would have loved Gigi, I loved Otto. I, I would think about that quite a lot, to be honest, like when we're doing things together or when we're away on holidays, I'm like, he could have been here. So that comes into it a lot because he was really good with kids and and like he, we spent a lot of time when we were kids he was always taking us to do fun things so I just think that like he missed out and my kids also missed out yeah, yeah. And, and do you worry about when you and Spencer pass on does it worry you about your children that's my main concern and that's what I kind of figured out from my severe fear of death I think it's for me the fear of death is actually leaving my kids behind it's not it's not me dying particularly I just want to make sure that that they're going to be happy that they're going to have nice lives that that I'll be able to set them up and and I think when you get to a point when you're older and you and you realize that you you have done that for them and you've done a good job with them they can kind of fly the nest that you'll feel better about it and it's just like you've left them with like you don't have to worry so much about them anymore well finally what one piece of advice would you give to our listener with this dilemma when it comes to reconnecting in an intimate way I would say, like, as awkward as it is, you have to sit and have a conversation. And if you drink alcohol, I would suggest possibly a glass of wine. You just have to sit and talk before it gets too awkward and just figure it out together. Fiona, what would you say? I would actually need to say, go and do it. <laughs> go, 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 and go, go and have sex. Go and have sex. Oh, really? Yeah. Try and do it, yeah. Because <laughs> you sort of forget, don't Make you? Make a date night, get a babysitter, you know. Sometimes you're not always in the mood, and then you know when you do it, you're like, actually, that was great. And I really enjoyed that. I know, yeah. you know, and I'm now I'm a therapist, but sometimes you don't need to talk. Yeah, just do. Yeah. <laughs> do you know this is what I love about this podcast is we're basically saying to our to our listener that you yes you are grieving, but you know what? Just go and have sex. Just do it. Just do it, and that goes for everybody listening as well. Just go and have sex. <laughs> Um, Vogue, this has been such a personal conversation for you. So thank you from all of us on the show for being so open and so honest as I know that you are. We really do appreciate it. So thank you. Thank you. And Fiona Cow, of course, thank you for your expertise as always, and for coming back into the studio. We we love you for that as well. Mm-hmm. We'll also leave resources for anyone currently navigating grief in the show notes. In the meantime, I'll be back next week with a new episode of It Can't Just Be Me. But we can't do this without you. So please get in touch. You can send us your voice notes via itcantjustbeme.co.uk or you can email me at itcantjustbeme at podimo.com. And don't forget, you can also find us on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube and Facebook. Just search for It Can't Just Be Me. Because whatever you're dealing with, it really isn't just you. From Podimo and Mags, this has been It Can't Just Be Me, hosted by me, Anna Richardson. The producers are Laura Williams and Christy Calloway-Gale. The editor is Kit Milson. The executive producers for Podimo are Jake Chudno and Matt White. The executive producer for Mags is Faith Russell. Don't forget to follow the show or for early access to episodes and to listen ad-free, subscribe to Podimo UK on Apple Podcasts. 